Locked on NBA, joined by good friend Nate Duncan of Dunked On Basketball Podcast. We haven't had you on in a while. I haven't had a lot of guests on in a while. So good to have you. How are you, my friend? Yeah, it's great. We haven't talked in quite some time, actually. I mean, I, I've kind of been traveling a lot, and, and I think I missed your visit to the Bay Area. Haven't had a chance to get out to Utah yet this year. So uh, it's great to be on. It's always fun to talk and pick each other's brains here, even though uh, I, I know that's now a boring phrase out here in, in San Francisco. Hopefully the rest of the country isn't sick of that yet. Oh, is that a, is that a bad, like, is that, is, like the one that I find really annoying is let's whiteboard. What's that sitting oh, in a room and doing nothing for like an hour? Like let's actually get something done. I don't want to just whiteboard. Let's just do something. I, I actually read something pretty funny. I don't know if I believe this, that like the, if ever, people have been in a conference room with the door closed for like a two hour period, that the air quality gets so bad that it actually like begins to negatively affect your decision making process. Like too much carbon dioxide builds up or something. And so you actually like make worse decisions because you're just like soporific after the air quality being so bad. And, you know, probably sitting in a meeting for two hours isn't good for anybody either. Well, you know what I find really interesting is that this actually goes back to this is a much deeper conversation. It has nothing to do with basketball. But so if you've actually studied learning, Like, the idea that everyone's supposed to learn sitting at a desk is just really bass-ackwards. Like, that doesn't actually work, that most children need to move or walk or, you know, some kids talk. Like, I need to move. Like, I this whole – I'm standing, and I stand during my broadcast. I'll stand during our whole conversation today. So when you – if you take someone like me and you put me in a a conference room and make me sit around a desk with people around me, you absolutely turn off every creative juice I have. Yeah, that – Totally makes sense. Uh, um, but given that, you know, you'd think that the Lakers uh, with uh, totally isolated decision making in a front office where nobody talks to each other would actually make much better decisions. But, uh, you know, yes. not, not, not the case. Can we like I, I did full 48 with Howard Beck. And of course, like the first thing is a cheap shot at the Lakers. Like we can't avoid it, can we? Like we just the Lakers. Because well, everyone we talk to wants to talk about it, you know, even in our private conversation. Right. All right. So let's talk about that for a second. So I have my points gained offensive metric. And when the year started, I plugged the Lakers in and I did not have them as a playoff team. Now, I said at the time, I think this is wrong. I think we're undervaluing what LeBron does. But the rest of the team is not good. Yeah, I think some of the guys that they lost from last year were underrated as well i mean i think people were sort of thinking of well hey they won 35 games last year they kind of took it easy the last week or two of the season you throw lebron in there you got a 48 50 win team uh but you know they had some important defections brooke lopez being among them he wasn't key down the end of games julius randall being another one in terms of providing efficient offense for them and then of course some of the guys that they brought in to replace them made little sense but you still wonder i we actually coming out later today on Dunkton, did our top 10 players in the NBA and where to rank LeBron was a really interesting topic. And so one of the questions I asked Danny was, on December 24th, or the third quarter right before LeBron injures his groin, you know, what do you think of that Lakers team? And what do you think of LeBron versus then he has the injury and then there's all the drama and they go 4-12 and 12 or whatever it was after he, he came back. Uh you know, with with Lonzo out as well. So are we now overreacting with some of these takes because of what happened and that injury, which was, you know, a weird acute injury going for a loose ball? 
I think we probably are because that team probably was on its road to the playoffs, though I'm not certain of that fact. I think um, I think that the Clippers were really good, and I think the Spurs are really good, and so I think it was going to – and I think they weren't as good, so I do think it was going to be a tussle uh, for them by the end. Yeah. Um, if it really was going to take 47 wins to get there, that's where the Clippers and Spurs are projected right now. Yeah, I mean, they probably would have been right on that borderline, you would think. Um, so I, I agree with you on that. Let, let's um, – let me kind of back up to where I plan to start, which wasn't conference rooms and um, business meetings. Do you <laughs> uh, do you have any aha moments this season? Is there anything that's happened? I actually do, so it's a little bit of where I'm coming from. Where talking to a coach before a game or watching games, you suddenly that something's changed, or what, what's your thought on whether or not you've seen something or that you have an aha moment this year? Oh man, this is one where I wish you'd actually asked me that before. Yeah, I you up, like, you do like but you're this very well prepared person who like outlines questions and makes sure that everything goes perfectly. That's not who I am. I admire. Well, well, I admire give, the give me yours, and, and I admire. And I'll, I'll I admire the. I admire the lawyer in you, Nate Duncan. Um, yeah. Rick Carlisle. So I asked Rick Carlisle about. I asked him a question about. Rick Carlisle used to run all sorts of false action before he got into his pick and roll and into his stuff. And I asked him whether he has had to stop doing that because of all the switching and everything else, it just doesn't do any good to run the false action first. And he says, you know what? There's not that much switching. And I was like, whoa. He said, what's happened in the league is that it used to be that everyone could shoot. Now it's that everyone can shoot and drive. And because everyone is a shooter and a driver, you get really beat on switching mismatches now. And not everyone can do it, but I went through and looked through the NBA, and there's only like 30 players left in the league, rounding that number off, who can't shoot or can't drive. Like Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert, Clint Capella. Like, you run out really fast. Now, there are some that... You know, Brooke Lopez can shoot and probably can't drive, and there's some that can drive and can't shoot. And it's obviously optimum to have drivers and shooters that are both, but it's interesting to me that that is where we are. It's not just Ryan Anderson anymore that can only shoot. If you're just a spot shooter in a stretch, it's probably not enough. Huh. That, that's interesting. That, yeah, or like a, a Channing Fryer or something. And, Perhaps exacerbating that is the fact that there is more shooting and spacing and transition play where maybe you're not going against an absolute set defense. And so bringing help is more difficult than ever before as well, even if you want to say. And I do think that this is an underrated thing, that the skill level of players, not just shooting. I mean, people might say, oh, yeah, you know, they have more freedom to take threes, and that's true. But the skill level of players, I mean, just – like every point guard now is supposed to be able to throw a left-handed pass to the opposite corner. Like nobody did, like Steve Nash and maybe like John Stockton were the only guys throwing left-handed passes hardly at all, you know, the uh 20 years ago or or 15 years ago. And now every player can do that. I mean, some of the euro steps, the step backs, I mean, the the stuff that like you know, guys like only Kobe Bryant and, and Michael Jordan were doing. And now that's like every point guard, you're at a disadvantage if you don't have, you know, 
a left-handed behind-the-back pass to the pop man in your repertoire as a point guard right now. Well, if you think about Bruce, uh, and actually I'll give Pelton credit because I was talking to Pelton about this, and he think about Bruce Bowen, right? Like he just caught and caught and chewed out of the corner. No one ever probably worked on him like, okay, well, if that's not there, let's work on the drive and an astrobol and a this and that out of that. Like the skill development is just at a at an incredibly high level compared to what it once was. Do do you think guys work harder now than they did like twenty or or thirty years ago? I mean, you're around teams a lot. You've been around teams for for twenty years. I mean, even just you know, not even talking about off season, but just guys routines that teams or that's kind of mandatory stuff or you know after practice stuff that teams. Uh, put them through just in the course of your daily routine during a season? Well, I remember, do, do, guys, yes. do guys work harder individually? I, I think so. I think they work much smarter. Yeah. Um, the, uh, like, I think back about the Jazz. Like, they had this assistant coach, Gordy Chiesa, who you should have on your podcast someday. He's just awesome. Um, he, he, he would, like, it was a big deal that they had, like, an organized layup line. Right. And, and like the jazz were different because they had an organized layup line and workout. I get a text every day before the game that literally has what time each player is going to be on the floor with what coach before a game and what his 20 minute workout's going to be. Yeah, right? I mean, I like, think that's that's pretty much every team. I mean, that and, right. and that's uh, that's probably even understating the the level of detail that a lot of teams are going right. through. Right. So instead of like, so that's a pretty big evolution. And then you think about the fact that that's happening probably before shoot around, after shoot around, before games. So it, a little bit back to like when Mark Cuban was the first one to go have eight assistant coaches, and everyone thought he was crazy. I think that's just by definition allowed for these players to have much better time and work on the floor. Yeah, so so that's that's an interesting revelation. I mean, going back to it, any others that that came to mind. The other for one, you? the other yeah. one, it's related, is that Milwaukee, the number one defense in the league, never switches. So a year ago, the trend was Houston switching everything, Golden State switching everything. We have the worst ever Western Conference Finals, and everyone's going to switch. And what are we going to do about the game? And here's Milwaukee depending what metric you use, either the number one or two defense in the league, and they are, they don't switch. They have switched like 300 picks all year, and Houston switched like 2,300. Yeah, I think it's it's very much personnel-based on both ends. I mean, the team you were for, the Jazz, I think they can stop pretty well. I mean, they even did a pretty good job in Houston last year, too. But they can stop pretty well, the vast majority of teams with the conventional style, and the Bucks have proven that a conventional style can be extremely effective as well. I mean, so much of the switching that's come in has been, well, number one, Golden State does it defensively because they have maybe the greatest switch man of all time in Draymond Green. And then you also, ironically enough, that very same team on offense, the only way to really stop them is by switching. We haven't really seen a team in the playoffs have much success against Golden State, uh, even in the pre-Durant era, uh, without switching. So maybe it's just a. I, I won't. I don't want to say it's just a Golden State thing. I think that you, you know, if you can switch and you really do have the personnel to do it well, 
that that still is the best way, uh, especially at the absolute highest levels. But realistically, there are very few teams that are going to have the personnel to do that or the personnel offensively that requires the defense to do that. Nate is centered out of Oakland, California, I think still. Unless he moved when he got married, yeah. And so, oh, oh, you, sorry, you can throw you can throw Cleveland, the old Cleveland teams, oh. into that too. Any team with LeBron and like that level of shooting, you know, needs to be able to to switch pretty well too. Now that LeBron isn't there anymore, it does, it does, you don't have the absolute turbocharged offense. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, no, but that's I, you're all right. transitioning to another point, so I, I had to get it in before we lost it. I'm all good with that. Uh, that was very unlawyer. Like that was uh, you were not following the order of the court, sir. Um, Nate Duncan is dunked on basketball. He's centered out of Oakland, so he spends a lot of time around the Warriors. We'll talk about that. The Oklahoma City swoon, the Western Conference playoff picture, plus he's probably got something I've said that he disagrees with. It's all coming up. I promise. He always does. He just has to be polite about it. It's all coming up next as we continue on Locked On NBA. Remember, when you get in your car, you can tell your smart device, play podcast, Locked On NBA. Uh, You... You watch the Warriors every day, or as much as possible. Do you think they're more vulnerable than they have been in other years? Oh, that's a, a difficult question. I think they might be if the Western Conference were looking a little bit more formidable. You know, I don't think there's anybody outside of Houston that is going to give them much of a time here um, when they're really locked in, in in the playoffs, and you know, Houston even looks like a a far worse team than a year ago. I mean, James Harden would have to go absolutely nuts for Houston to have a chance. And, you know, he has not been able to do that yet in the playoffs as a rocket. So I do think some of these East teams could give them trouble there, but you know, they will be, it would, what it would have to be is, you know, they're going to be the favorite in any series as long as the health permits. And so they're only going to really probably have one hard series. If you could put multiple series where, you know, they're a 65% favorite in their path, then maybe it it looks more difficult for them. But realistically, I think it's only going to be the finals where they're going to have a matchup that we're really going to say is going to be one where they're going to get pushed. So you don't think a Oklahoma City, Utah, Portland, Denver or or Houston route is going to be one of concern for them? Yeah, I mean, maybe Houston, just because they're pretty experienced. They've got got some reinforcements now. But Golden State is guarding Harden just about as well as anyone uh, over the years. Golden State has a lot of experience uh, with Houston. Houston's not quite the same unit defensively. Chris Paul has looked better, but still he, he's not the same as he was last year. So, no, I I, I would not predict it, that Houston would uh, is going to push them as hard as they did last year. Why did they sign Andrew Bogut? Uh, maybe for morale a little bit, uh, maybe just for injury protection at the center position. I mean, with Damian Jones out, not that he was helping them, you know, DeMarcus could be an injury risk. He could get into foul trouble. There are, I mean, if you're going to go up against Joel Embiid in the NBA finals or go up against a Marcus Gasol or, or someone like that, uh, you will just, they just need one more big body. I mean, Kevon Looney, Jordan Bell, those guys are just a little bit too light in the shorts. And Bogut knows the system. I mean, you know, they had a 14th roster spot. All it cost them is money. So why not do it? I mean, it, I don't see anyone else who would have been a better choice there 
than Bogut at this point in time. It did feel to me like there was some morale or something else to it. It felt it, but maybe not. Maybe they knew they were doing this the whole time. Just let Bogut go play in Australia State and have it set up that he was going to come. Um, but it did feel a little bit to me like what your first answer that is though almost like get me the good vibes of Andrew Bogut back in this locker room. Get me something. We need. We st- <laughs> we still need something in this collective group to get things straightened out. Yeah, that, that could well be the case. And uh, my default is that this is a good question here. Since you're you're around teams, you see this more. You talk to more people than I do. Do you believe that the media overreports and overfocuses on interpersonal drama within teams as a reason for winning, or, or uh, conversely, positive vibes, positive chemistry as a reason for winning? Um, I think, I think team, I think the media overreports on positive vibes. I think winning hmm. leads to positive vibes. I think negative vibes are probably underreported. I think there's more stuff that goes on in locker rooms that derail teams than we know about. But I think the teams won 11 in a row. Everyone loves each other. What a great chemistry we have. Everyone loves playing together. No, no kidding. You won 11 in a row. Like, I think that's, I don't like that story um, a great deal. Um, but I do think that when we when teams go on little weird swoons every now and then, I generally assume something's happened in that locker room. They'll get through it, but that something's happened. Like I think the Draymond Durant thing's really real. Like I think that's really real. Like that doesn't just happen. Like and that doesn't. That's no different than our workplace. Someone did that to you in the office. You're not quite right afterwards. Um, and I don't think there's any difference to an NBA workforce than uh, anything we belong in, that if you like the guys, you show up a little bit more eagerly, you might get there more quickly, you might be there for an extra workout session, or if you just don't like each other a great deal. I mean, I think that Clipper stuff was a great, like that stuff turned out to all be real, right? I mean, I know Doc tried to tell us it was not true, but like all those stories that they didn't practice and they couldn't practice because they didn't like each other, sure turned sure seemed to be true now. Yeah, he actually, in uh an interview with Ben Golliver kind of acknowledged that yesterday. Uh, that was a great piece, by the way, by Ben. Locked on NBA, uh, regular contributor, by That's the way. That's right. Thank you very much. Sorry about that. The cat the cat decided he needed to uh, rub his glands against uh, the microphone. Um, now people know you're a cat person. Oh, I, proudly. Okay. Now they, <laughs> very, they some think differently. Very proudly. Um, so... I mean, Boston to me is is the biggest example, right? I mean, are you telling me that Terry Rozier, you know, couldn't hit a shot for the first three months because of like chemistry concerns? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, there's. It seems to me like number one, that's what people are interested, in, right? And the casual fan probably you know isn't gonna like dive into the video and you know, he, but he can't understand. Well, Kyrie just made these comments in the media about leadership, you know, and so. And then I also am of the belief that insiders like me and and even more you could be prone to a bias where what's the thing that we that separates us from everyone else from our our listeners? Well, we have this inside information, right? So that clearly has to be valuable for us to be valuable. 
that inside information that we have that no one else has has to mean something. And we, if we can transmit that to people as an explanation for why things are happening, I think there's a, a bias there, both in terms of the consumption and in terms of what we as the media want to believe, you know, that, that the quotes that we're getting or being in the locker room and seeing stuff that other people aren't seeing really mean something when, you know, sometimes it's just, well, these players just aren't that good, you know, and, and now if, it, if you're talking about on defense, I will believe that a little bit more. If you're saying, Hey, you know what, these guys, you know, are looking at each other. LeBron looks at his teammates like they're complete morons all the time and shows them up and, and you know, people aren't rotating and they're like, ah, you know, why am I going to help that guy out? I'll believe it more as an explanation for bad defense than I will for bad offense and specifically guys just not making shots. You know, I just, I don't believe that when a guy goes to shoot an open three-pointer, he's like, oh, well, screw, screw everyone else on my team. I'm going to not make this. No, right. I do think, uh, particularly having watched Washington recently, when you have one or two guys that just could care less defensively, there's just no way the other eight guys are playing defense. There's yeah. just couldn't, no way. Couldn't care less, you, you mean. Yeah. Couldn't care less. Yeah, couldn't care less. Like, just like just had no interest. Guys on Washington, there's guys on Washington that have no – they're doing the, f- the fakest closeouts I've ever seen. Let me just run at you. I'm going to run by, like, by four steps, so it looks like I was making an effort, but I'm not actually at all. Yeah, because the closeout, the actual effort is not only the running, but the, like – Stopping like right. that's the actual hard the part. Short the short steps closeout. before the you get to the shooter, so that you're under balance and can defend if they put the ball on the floor. Right. Did I just lose you? Nope. Still, oh, okay. still here. I, I, I just wowed you with my brilliance. But so when uh, <laughs> when I see that, um, there's no way the other eight guys are on that roster playing defense. There's defense is a collective effort. It ha- everyone has to be bought in together. Yeah. Now, is that just because the guy is lazy or he's out of shape or he's just not wired to play that way? Or is it because he thinks that the other guys in the locker room don't like him? I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, I, I. But you don't I have. I mean, yeah, locker rooms. Locker rooms don't have to get along. It's nice if they do. And I do think it causes a lot of the swoons during the seasons, I guess my point. All right, we're going to go a little rapid fire on what we're seeing around the NBA teams, and Nate's got a bone to pick with me on something as we continue on Locked On NBA. Josh Lloyd has a fabulous fantasy basketball show for you, plus runs down all the games of the night before. Check it out at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. And keep an eye out Monday for a big announcement from the Locked On Podcast Network. It's all here. Keep an eye out. It's coming. All right, so I had a tweet that you had objection to or you just thought was interesting. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say a objection to I mean, You asked the question of OKC and Utah have the same record. Utah is probably going to finish with a better record than OKC because they have a, an easier closing schedule. They're playing better right now. And so you said, well, Russell Westbrook is surefire All-NBA. Paul George is considered an MVP candidate. And so, you know, these two teams have the same record. Are Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell way better than we thought? Are the Jazz 3 through 10 just way better than OKC? Is Quinn Snyder just a, a great coach? Like, what is it that makes up for this supposed gap between the two best players on OKC and the two best players uh, on Utah? 
Is, is that an yeah, accurate that's summary? Exactly. So what what is your thought on that? Uh, well, number one, Russell Westbrook won't be making any of my NBA teams. Um, I think you know, he's shot it a little bit better lately, but I mean, people are like, oh, he's still averaging a triple double. Well, you know, if that's the, the stats that you're using, you're probably not a regular listener of either of us uh, and just, you know, kind of out of it when it comes to actually evaluating what wins basketball games in this day and age. And, you know, Russell Westbrook, I mean, you, you're a big believer in guys just be, you know, how damaging inefficiency could be. And while his usage is down from those records of a couple of years ago, uh, you know, he's still one of the most inefficient high usage players in the NBA. And while he's done a little bit better defensively this year, I still don't think he's a huge, huge positive there on a night to night basis. So I, I think he's, uh, I'm not going to say he's hurting the team necessarily overall, but you know, he's just not at the level that he's been at previously. So I, I think he, that, that's way, one thing. On, I whether say. he's hurting yeah. the team, his individual possession usage has the largest negative impact on any team in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, even more than Andrew Wiggins. Huh? Yep. Uh, so, yeah, and the assists and rebounds help the team to some degree, but uh, you know the fast breaks help the team to some degree. But again, when you're, it's really, really hard to be helping your team offensively when you're that below average efficiency and you're using that many possessions. Um, so that's one I would say. Number two, a difference I would say is the not necessarily even the quality of three through ten, but just the fit of three through ten. I mean, OKC has struggled so badly to shoot the ball with their support players, you know, basically forever. I mean, they would kill to have Joe Ingles, not to mention, or, or even Jay Crowder or you know, a shooter like Kyle Korver that could hold the defense or run off some screens every now and again, or even someone like Royce O'Neal, who's not a high volume guy, but has shot it capably from three and it can do a little bit off the bounce, which Terrence Ferguson can't. And, uh, you know, it's probably, as good or better defensively than Ferguson. Uh, you know, they just, they don't have guys that, like that on their roster. And then, yeah, I do think Quinn Snyder is a, a far better coach than Billy Donovan. And you know what I think? What do I think? Yeah. <laughs> that uh, Rudy Gobert is uh, way underrated. Yep. Yeah. And I actually begin to think Donovan has gotten... I actually think this this whole year has been weird that these narratives got set early in the season on a bunch of players that I just don't think are. That happens every year. Is that it, it happens every year? Okay, so, um, and and Donovan, the narrative was he was having this sophomore slump, and he definitely didn't start great. And we played a really hard schedule early, and he's been just unbelievable since January first. I mean, um, and so I feel like he's that's being missed a little bit. No, I think Rudy is really. Rudy's just way better than anyone realizes until you watch him every night and understand just how much his tentacles impact everything. So Bradley Beal the other night scored 40 in back-to-back games. He takes eight shots a night in the paint. Four at the rim, four as floaters, but he hits his floater at 56%, so it's pretty awesome. He got one all night with Rudy Gobert on the floor in the paint. Well, and the crazy part of that, too, is it seemed to me the whole strategy was anytime he comes off a pin down, we're just going to topside him so he can't come off that pin down. And you're basically giving up a backdoor in that scenario. And and Rudy, you know, he had to guard Bobby Portis a lot of that game as a three-point shooter. But Rudy, they're just trusting that Rudy Gobert is back there. Right. Fine, we'll give up a backdoor. Rudy Gobert is going to clean it up 
if we do, and he's still able to get out to the, to that shooter as well. No, he, he was uh, Wait, he stop. was the key to their whole stop. strategy. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Nate Duncan, you just got it. Like that's it. That's where he's that great, and it's why the Jazz allow the fewest threes of any team in the league. Because we're gonna go take away every three. Because Rudy's back there. Like it's incredible, and it's interesting to me where Rudy's impact defensively has a larger impact on guards than I think it does on big men. So, like, there was a game earlier this year with Jokic had a decent numbers against Rudy, and everyone was like, oh, Jokic killed Rudy. Right, but nobody else on the – but he didn't do any of his other stuff. And so nobody else on that team had a good game because they just let Rudy guard Jokic, and Jokic is good enough to score one-on-one, but he didn't hit the threes. He didn't do anything else. It, it, and then I think – the part that people still have lost in this whole game is the value of the rim roller. And the rim roller is really important. And the Jazz take the most corner threes of any team in the league, and they have the most dunks of any team in the league. And that's all Rudy. Yeah, that that I'm a little bit lower on because I think that's something that you can find. You know, the defense isn't something that's replaceable. I think the, the offense, you know, is something that a lot of teams – you know, can find that guy who can roll to the rim and finish efficiently. Um, but here's something I wanted to ask you, actually. Uh, again, that that I think you you being around coaches for as long as you have, you, you'd have the perspective on this. You know, obviously, rooting not making the All Star team. You know, I, I thought that was pretty ridiculous. You know, I probably I would have had him in certainly over uh, Westbrook, and I can't remember who else I, I would have, oh, probably Clay Thompson as, as well. Yeah, that that one I thought there was a, a little bit more of an argument for, but but anyway, uh, but and one of the arguments which uh, I thought was interesting is you know that Rudy says, hey, you know, everyone, coaches preach defense all the time, right? And now here I make my living on the defensive end. I think I'm the best defensive player in the world. How am I not in there? And so what I think actually is that because coaches are focused so much on defense. They think more going into a game, well, how the hell are we going to stop this offensive guy on the other team, right? That's what they lose sleep over. That's what they spend the most time on, and that's what they change their strategy to deal with. Whereas they don't think, oh, man, you know, like we're going to change up our offensive strategy so much tonight because Rudy Gobert is on the floor. We're just going to kind of run this, the same stuff that we would normally run, and it's just not going to work as well. And, you know, but – as far as just impacting the way that they're preparing the great offensive, and maybe this shouldn't be the case, maybe they should spend more time on how we're going to deal with Rudy Gobert as a defensive force. But do you think that that is why coaches, despite preaching defense so much, are actually more biased towards offense when they're selecting these teams? Uh, I think so. Coaches think they can coach defense and that they and offensive players make offensive plays. And they think they can coach everyone to play defense. I think that's where Quinn Snyder's different. Quinn Snyder thinks, give me a guy who can dribble and pass, and I can turn him into an offensive player. Hmm. Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal. Right? Like, I'll turn him into offensive players. Give me guys that are interested in playing defense, can dribble and pass. We'll we'll figure out how to turn him into something. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, but, but, so yeah, that, that's interesting that you know, so so coaches really are don't, and maybe when you have someone like Gobert on your own team, then you, you be, begin to appreciate it more of just you know watching the film regularly of how many times guys are getting beat and he's cleaning up the mess. 
but when you're preparing, you know, that's just not something that you're, you know, really going to alter your strategy for. Um, so good. I'm, I'm glad, glad you agree with me uh, on that one. Okay. Um, Final thought question for you. Yeah. OKC swoon. How big a deal? Oh, you know, for people who were buying them, I mean, I've heard some people say that they're the biggest threat to the Warriors uh, as recently as a couple of weeks ago, who were seeing them as the second best team in the West. It's a big deal for them because it's a big change in their expectations. I mean, for me, you know, I thought OKC was a high 40s type of win team this year. Um, A lot of their success and their surge was driven by Paul George you know, who's been a great player for a long time, but, you know, playing at a level that he frankly had not reached before. I mean, when he's putting up, you know, 29 a game on incredibly efficient shooting, you know, that was, that was something that I was, I didn't believe it was impossible that it continued, but it, you know, that was a, a new level for him. It, he has the shoulder injury and, you know, has to be able to sustain that now. Um, but I, and I just don't, don't think they're good enough, uh, Offensively, the defensive fall off to me, you know, they're I think they're below average against a hard schedule since January 1st has been a little bit more surprising. But I wasn't buying them as, you know, a team that was going to get to the West Finals to begin with. So it's not as big of a deal to me because it's kind of more what I, I, I didn't think they'd, you know, go four and 10 in their last 14 games. But, you know, they're kind of getting back to where I thought they would be. But for people who, thought that they were going to be, you know, the second best team in the West. I, I think that's been a, a little bit sobering. And, and uh, you know, I think this is, uh, they can write the ship to some degree, but no, I don't, I don't think, I mean, they're looking at the eighth seed potentially now, the sixth seed, something like that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, you and I are the same. I mean, we've almost gotten bored. We'd have, we don't talk. We just think the same. So um, it's almost. Well, maybe, maybe we should talk about a team that we actually might disagree on. Well, we'll, have to, uh, but, we'll, we'll have to find it for our next podcast. This is a lockdown podcast. It's 30 minutes or less. For the oh, hour yeah. 15, we go to the dunk on. All right, Nate, I appreciate <laughs> you. Keep up the great work. I admire what you're doing, and I'll talk soon. All right. Great talking to you, David.